Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Jesus, Dietrich, and Me. My name is Tyler, and across from me, as they are every week, Pastor Hill and Vicar Nick, and we get to serve as the pastors and vicars at Family of God Lutheran Church in Southwest Detroit. Today, we are going to be discussing Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the uh, more, more so of the influences again. Uh, we, this whole book has been about the influences of, of Bonhoeffer, to be sure. Um, but today we're going to hopefully get to uh, the kind of what was his, where was his mind at when he was, especially especially early Bonhoeffer. What were the the, the inspirations and and what was he reading? What was he what was he writing? What was he thinking? Especially when he was at at the university and. We had spent the last two weeks, uh, and I would actually encourage you, if this is your first time listening, to go back and, and listen to the, the last two episodes, uh, the contrast of the theology of glory and the theology of the cross, because that's kind of been the, the theme of this entire book and the theme of, of Dietrich, who who riffs heavily on on Martin Luther's theology of the cross and the Christology behind that. and. Go back and, and and listen to that. But before we we dive into kind of these studies, I think it's really important for us. And Pastor Hill brought this up just before uh, we begin recording, and he actually wants to take a step back uh, and and just reiterate and and re uh, kind of hammer home again just a, another point about the theology of the cross and why Christians were ready. What made what played a role in Dietrich's audience? Why were people so ready and eager now to hear about a crucified Christ. And so pastor you want to you want to take us back to World War 1, yeah. right? So we'll, we'll start here when he entered the universities. It, the universities were in turmoil. The theological portions of the university were in turmoil. And basically um, sometime after Luther up until World War 1 Lutheranism was focused on what we might call systematic theology, um, putting together an ordered reason, rational uh, <laughs> explanation of everything, um, with a worldview that as we became more and more Christian, as we evangelized the world, not really a German Lutheran thing, but as the world was evangelized, uh, things would get better and better and better and better. In fact, prevalent or prevailing uh, millennial view at that time was what? Post- Be ready at any time, Post- Vicar. millennialism Which is what? Which is um, basically the belief that the world would get progressively better and better and better, and eventually as it got better, it would trigger the second coming. When of we Christ. got good enough, yep. Here he comes. Here he comes, yep, we were good enough. <laughs> yeah. Don't hear that view anymore. wonder why. It died pretty much in World War One in the, in the catastrophe of uh, millions and millions of uh, people dying in the battlefield. There was a catastrophe in Russia. What was that catastrophe? The revolution. The revolution and tens of millions dying there in the during that war and in the post-war um, communization of, of of Russia. And so, in other words, evidence that. We're not even close to being good enough yet. Only thing you could say for sure is we were getting better at killing each other. Yeah, well, not um, much has yeah, changed. The whole either. world was just spiraling out of control, and then that matched up with this guy, Hall, H-O-L-L, we talked about earlier. Yeah, a couple couple episodes ago. Yeah. Hall's who, the guy who introduced Dietrich we discovered, to Luther. Yeah. Imagine this, Lutheran theologians rediscovering Luther. Right. That tells you that Luther was sidelined. Right. Right. Put on the bench. It's like, oh, yeah, we have all the, look right here in the library, right? There they are. Three shelves of Luther works. Nobody reads them, but there they are. <laughs> but they're there. Uh, that's sort of what it was, and he rediscovered. There's uh, a reason there's plastic on the covers. That too. <laughs> protect them because no one's touching them. Uh, and they're like the hardest place to reach, too. But he rediscovered rediscovered Luther, but he did not rediscover the principle um, of, of the theology of the cross, because that was not part of this particular man's um, worldview. It didn't fit with him. And that is actually where Bonhoeffer 
um, differed with him and Barth, and he picked up the mantle even as a student of um, of uh, the theology of the cross. And I can't say for sure, but I'm thinking the world is not too much better than 1918, 1920. I think I mean, you could make the argument that we're actually worse. Yeah. And so any any concept that the more Christian the world com- becomes, the more righteous it will become, and then, yeah. Well, what's so we were talking about the last last week, whenever we were talking about the man has this absurd idea that we can create a utopia, right? That we can mm. we can create a society where all thing where we're all things for all people, where everyone is satisfied, everyone is happy, all sides are catered to unless unless you're you belong, <laughs> unless you belong to a certain group of people animal farm yeah right? you're quoting whether you know or not animal farm yeah. george orwell i did read it I all read animal animals farm, are, yeah. all animals are equal but pigs are more equal you're right yeah <laughs> yeah and um and, and we realize that when when we start to rely on ourselves we start to rely on our own righteousness we start we were talking about this a bible study this week we start to rely on our, our, our ourselves through the cultivating of of good and we quickly find that there is no one that is good. I mean, that is the, the gospel lesson for this upcoming Sunday is the, the, the rich young ruler and where, where Jesus says, why do you, because the rich young ruler calls him teacher or good, good teacher, teacher, right? Yeah. And he says, why do you call me good? There's no one good that but God alone. So Jesus essentially is saying, I'm God because I am good. And do you um, know what you just said? Yeah, do you yeah. know what you just said, right? And the guy's like, "Well, you know, but I'm but I'm good too. Look at all these things that I've done and the all the good things that that I've all the, the so actually, commandments I've kept from my youth." Yeah, I was actually planning to come back to that cuz that's my sermon that I haven't written yet. So, um, yeah. but in a suffering world, how do you make sense of a suffering world apart from a suffering Christ? That's the point where Bonhoeffer enters mm-hmm. the stage. Yeah, um, I think that that's probably what that's what partly what motivated him to go to seminary because he declared at like age fourteen. I read this yeah. in the in the uh, the big the big thick intimidating uh, Eric Metaxas book. Yeah, uh, where I think it's age fourteen that he yeah. declared that he wanted to be a theologian. Right, he came came from a family of distinguished scholars, award like Nobel Prize winning. Um, if there was anybody in Germany who was like elite and privileged, yeah, he came from an elite privileged family. Um, this shows up later when he's in prison um, because they don't know how to treat him because Nazi prisoners were, you know, they were always thought of as being the other subhuman, criminal, and all that stuff. And here's this guy who's from the elite, you know, uncle's the police chief of Berlin, <laughs> father's the head of the psychiatry department of a major university, and so he got treated better because of his status. He got actually paper to write with and letters smuggled in and out. So he's an elite, privileged young German who goes to... Speaking of privileged, look at Joel and... <laughs> Walking with their plates of delicious-looking food. Sorry, I was. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So he gets to go to the best university. Uh, like, who's going to turn him down with his family pedigree? And then he's like, I would, if I were a German professor, he'd be like the student from hell. <laughs> yes. Why? <laughs> he wasn't sa- like he wasn't satisfied with answers. He always pushed. He always pushed the envelope. Um, he was not willing to accept an answer without an explanation. Mm. And he was hell, hell bent on figuring out and, and just really just your Is that answer- why I said demon possessed? Cause he's hell bent. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. no, not, no, not like that, but just, he was really, like, he just, he wanted, he, he knew truth. He knew what the real deal was. He knew that some of the stuff that he was hearing was bogus, and he essentially called them out on it and and challenged them, stood up to it, spoke truth to power, as they say, and as you said, mm-hmm. kind of giving that, giving that illusion at the end of last week's episode. 
he was willing, more than willing, to to stand up and to speak truth, and and to challenge those who were in a, who were in authority over him. So this this famous professor, von Harnack, he's the premier uh, biblical scholar in the premier university. Everybody worships this guy, little W worship, and here's this little Bonhoeffer, little hmm. literally little little, little Dietrich. Yeah, he said he, he's he's will. Fellow students are writing about this guy. Actually, told him you're wrong. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> no one says that. This is Germany in the twenties. Authoritarian respect for power. You don't yeah. do that. And then here he is saying to the most respected but wrong theologian, "Right, uh, you're wrong." Mm-hmm. Um, and then telling him why he's wrong. Mm-hmm. Think, wow, student from hell. This is not the kind of student they wanted nor expected. Um, wow. No, but it's exactly. I mean, this is this is um, to draw to draw direct parallels to what we what we have now. Um, if you were if we were to go to if we were to go to our government authorities, if we were to go to to the teachers that are teaching things like critical race theory and teaching things like more than two genders, teaching things like you know, name it. If you were to go and and if someone in high school or college were to challenge a professor on this, you are running the risk here of getting probably booted from the university, right? Mm-hmm. And or at least being severely chastised in front of everybody publicly, and or having a Facebook article written about you. Um, you just didn't you didn't do things like this and expect to. Well, and Dietrich's not going to get away with it. <laughs> He's not going to get away unscathed, right? He's going to be, he, he will, that, that will eventually come back to uh, this, this uh, desire to speak truth to power will eventually be what gets him killed. Um, but this, the, the, this, it's no different now when we have an option of speaking truth to power that's not what's going like that that's not going to be well it's not going to be well received it's not going to be oh you're changing you're not they're not going to have the person that's being approached is not going to have the attitude of thank you for bringing for showing me my sin thank you for telling me where i'm wrong and for correcting me it's going to be no it, you're wrong and then there's going to be almost like an elevated uh elevated conflict so to speak um, he was described, it says here, uh, whatever page I was just on, like 129, uh, 127, as an original thinker in a time and an environment where original thinking is not uh, prized. Right. You're supposed to be a disciple of, in this case, let's just say von Harnack, and you're supposed to echo his views, maybe improve on his views, shed light on his views, but you don't say, well, mm, no, especially when you're just a student. Right. Um, and so. Yeah, who, it's almost like a who, who are you to tell me that I'm wrong, right? Right. You're, you're. From, well, I don't know how you meant that. So the professor would certainly say, you're an ignorant young freshman, right? Yes. How can That's you what I mean. Who, how, who are you to tell me? Yeah. Don't, almost like a, don't you know who I but am? But it also worked the other way. We don't have that dialogue. But I imagine Bonhoeffer at least thought when Von Harnack or somebody else would say, uh, ch- you know, respond to his challenge, he's probably thinking, well, who are you to tell me I'm not? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah. and, and Dietrich certainly had the had that. Uh, he's not Jewish, but chutzpah? Yes, I was going to say. <laughs> I was trying to think of the, the best, the yeah. best more most polite way of saying that. So here's here's one twenty seven. He's described as someone with significant scholarly skills, um, a willingness to go beyond the perspective of his teachers, and develop insights of his own. Again, those would not be approved uh, right. behaviors. Uh, yes. Insights of your own. Boy, again, is, there, is anyone is anyone seeing the, the the similarities to what's happening then and to what's happening now? You are condemned for thinking for yourself. Oh yeah, um, like I really, I really hope that if you are listening to this and you're listening to, it's we want you to know and we want you to hear 
of someone who is willing to stand up and to face true and, and to proclaim truth and be willing to accept the responsibility, be willing to accept the whatever it is that happens because of it. But this is the, the things that are happening that that are provoking Bonhoeffer to, to speak up and provoking him to do all these things. This is exactly what is happening today. Being condemned for thinking for yourself, going against what the, the, the master narrative is. And, and we are seeing that time and time again. And so Dietrich here, again, having a mind of his own, having a brain that is fully, that is, de- that is developing, having outside influences, taking it, taking it upon himself to quote unquote, do your own research to, to learn about the person of Christ, to learn about what all of this crucified Messiah means for him and for you and then be willing to actually think for himself and to go beyond what is actually being told. He's, we want you to see that this is an example that this actually can happen, that there are people who have done this, and mm. there are people who are honored and, and, uh, and praised for this and so. eventually, eventually dying for this. But, we also, but I mean, that's part of being crucified with Christ. It's just to go so, back to the yeah, cross. The modern, the modern parallel of you, you have to accept the orthodoxy that we're pushing on you is not dissimilar from Bonhoeffer and not dissimilar from Luther, right? Luther right. just unintentionally at first, but very quickly rejected all the orthodox doctrines of, of uh, the Roman Catholic Church okay. and... Uh, Bonhoeffer, without that kind of Reformation break, but he is has completely departed from Lutheran orthodoxy in the German universities and seminaries of his time. Get ready, Vicar. I hope your professors are listening to this. But one, one can get in serious trouble in our seminaries if you question any orthodox view, especially a view... Um, Saturday we were talking about confessional seal, right? And certainly there was a very strong, you can summarize, a very strong teaching that you received about it. Yes, which would basically be um, you should never break the confessional seal. If someone confesses their sins to you, you never divulge those sins that have been confessed. Um, Even if the law says you have to. And it does, especially in cases of... uh, I was going to say, pastors, pastors are, are protected from from mm-hmm. that, right? No. Not in those cases. No. Okay. Well, I was you have most to, other cases. You yes, have to be not. prepared to go to jail if you refuse. Well, um, yeah. Uh, no. So that, I didn't want to lead you in that way, but I did ask you a question a day or two later and, and asked you, please don't do this in the seminary, but what is the biblical warrant or mandate for this idea of the confessional seal and and what? Um not that clear <laughs> in scripture not clear at all right in fact one might argue it's not there at all but i'm just imagining you vicar gapsky in front of that professor saying to him after he's made this extremely hard orthodox position and you say i don't know of a biblical mandate for this position you're taking that would be bonhoeffer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not you, right? <laughs> right, right. I'll just sit quietly and be like, okay. <laughs> okay. You might might or might not have thought of that, but yeah. So you have an orthodox view. A student can examine that, and especially if he's, you know, Scripture alone. If you can't back it up from Scripture, then you have to question where it came from. And then from that you question, it may still be valid, but... You can't you can't state it as this. This is a theological principle based on on scripture. You can say it's a pastoral practice, that, but you can't really. And maybe somebody can come up with a theological mandate for it. But the point is, so if you a student who would challenge the professor is not looked upon with favor, even in our modern day seminaries. Nope. Even if you say it with a smile. So. Well, I have an example of that, and I think 
I don't remember if I shared this, so if I did, I'm, I apologize. Ron. Sorry, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> um, We're going to mention Ron at least more than last time because he said it yeah, was three. He, yeah, because he brought it up to us when so he Ron, saw it. So, Ron, this yeah. is three. Um, no, what I was going to say, an example of that in, in my classes um, – we were we we got into the into the topic of, and you probably remember this, Pastor Hill, because we were discussing the the stupidity of this question, and they were asked. The question was so part of part of my training going through the the program that I did. Um, we had you know one of the benefits that we have is that we're in the we're in the field already. So we have congr- our congregation is already at our I don't want to say disposal, but it's already in front of us. So you can interact, you can take what you're learning and and see how your congregation reacts. And I'll never forget this because the question that we were asked to ask our congregation. Oh yes. You, oh yeah, you remember this? Why is it that? Why do you think that more Lutherans are not running for public office? Because we were talking about the the set almost like the separation of church and no, state and things like that. It was personalized. Why aren't members of your congregation? Yeah, running running for 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 office and and we're of course we we know our congregation and our our uh, I had mentioned multiple times to my professor that um, that our congregation was you know comprised primarily not certainly exclusively but primarily of men and women who have been in bondage to drugs and alcohol or affected by drugs and alcohol, mental illness, homeless, et cetera, et cetera, living significantly below the poverty line. And um, so I said, can I, can I ask a different question or abstain from this question? Because if I ask this question, you're going to get, you're going to get no, no answers. And he's like, he basically said to, well, what do you think that they should say? And to write it down. Well, I didn't do that, and I got fi- I got marked five points off for for not for not asking the the right question and giving the answer that he wanted me to to give, and that just spoke volumes to me about his character and about the class itself, and it just made me very frustrated. It was very I was very fortunate that this was near the end of the class because I would have been very it would have been very tempting to tune out for the rest of the course mm-hmm. because what that showed me was that this professor was more concerned and he's not he's not employed by either one of the seminaries he's an adjunct and i may i brought this up to uh, the director of the program and uh but it was just it showed me that he was much more concerned what the answer was supposed to be as opposed to what it would be and i got i got marked down and he wrote me a, an email about why i should just do just do the questions just do the things rather than think of another way to try to engage my congregation, which is significantly different than all the other congregations that were in my class. And it's just like, well, this is what the answer is supposed to be. So just just, just formulate an answer of, of like that. Like, what do you think that they would say? So dear professor, felons can't run for political office. Right. But politicians can become felons. Sure. But yeah, I mean, not they're not all felons but enough of them been in prison long enough they they can't vote or yeah we got a guy right now that can't get a job because he's because he's got so many marks on his record so that's kind of what we're talking about you got you got people you got that are higher up that are saying this is no this is what is supposed to be said this is what is supposed to be taught this is what is supposed to be this this and this and if you don't follow it then you're going to be you're going to get a demerit stay in the box yeah stay in your lane stay in the box so one of the questions that Bonhoeffer asks early on and throughout his writings, what he's trying to a- ascertain is, who is Christ for us today? So let's put him in 1920s Germany, where the church doesn't have answers to why is the world in turmoil? Why is the world suffering? Why is there so much death in my family because of of the uh, World War One, and uh, that was swiftly followed by what the Depression, and then hyperinflation, and you know, the church had no answers. Somebody else had an answer. Who was that? With the little mustache. <laughs> yeah, he he spoke into that mess and said, "I can lead you out of it," but the church had no real voice because 
they had abandoned the theology of the cross. They didn't know how to. My, my head is exploding right now. Okay, back up, Nick. <laughs> Why? It's just like this is ex- like this is exactly this is exactly where we're at now. You have a leader. Sorry, I'm getting I get really emotional about this stuff. We have a le- we have leader and leaders. This is where I say is- it's our podcast. It's okay. Yeah, right. So I don't care what you think. <laughs> Plus, we can cut this out if we don't like it. Right, but I think you might like it because I think there's a lot of like-minded people that listen to the podcast. And if you don't think that, then take what I'm saying and and just think about it. I'm not trying to demand something of you i'm just saying this is what this is the, the viewpoints i'm just showing you some some things but you have you have how do you want i don't even know how to what to call it. you've got uh dissension you've got divisions you've got uh adversity you've got struggles you've got trials you've got a country that is completely being ripped apart right near the end of last year's election and you've got these leaders this, these government leaders that are saying we will lead you out of it. We're the answer. We're the answer. And and then and then you've got churches lining up because they've abandoned the theology of the cross, Lutheran churches included, and they say, Yes, let's we're all going to follow. Let's all be woke together. Right. Let's all do this. Let's be nice. Let's not let's not be good. I had a tweet yesterday because I I, I, I saw or I listened to another pastor say this. The difference between nice and good is actually, it, it, they're, they're so far apart, it's not even funny. And the church gets those two mixed up all the time, where we need to be nice to one another rather than be good, rather than actually look at what's going on, calling a spade a spade, looking at at, at evidences of, of hatred and looking at, at leaders who actually don't care about you, but you're putting all of your eggs in that basket. And... You know, and this is the same thing with with Hitler. And I'm by no means, although <laughs> I'm by no means comparing the two, but um, but I mean, there again, the comparisons that are, that we see from Bonhoeffer's day to now are uncanny. And every whenever you say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, my head is just gonna get But that's that's where that's where we're at. The church, German church in Luther's day. I'm sorry, in Bonhoeffer's day had no answers to the crisis the nation was in. Right. And I think it's fair to say that, yeah, the church collectively in America has no answers to the crisis that we're going through. It's not, we don't have hyperinflation or we're not in the midst of, uh, depending on who you listen to, we might be, we're not in the midst of the depression. Um, We haven't lost tens of millions of people to a war but there's this colossal dysfunctional feeling to the country, um, and the lines are drawn pretty. He- somebody called it uh, a cold civil war is going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just listened to uh, to our president talk just the other day, and basically told to, on camera at his speech said Democrats are trying to do this. Either you get on board Republicans or get out of the way, like. That's not unity. That's not an answer. That's further division. Well, our our answers, ready answer, seems to be demonizing both sides. Yeah, so a- absolutely, it is. You're evil because you don't have the vaccination. Nick and I are good because we do. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, God bless you. Right. More righteousness. You're a killer. You. More righteousness. Yeah, I just hate grandmas. Right. More yeah. righteousness for you guys because you because you have the vaccination. I mean, you have this in in churches. I was again listening listening to a to a pastor who's in Minnesota who says that there are churches in Minnesota who have who have services they have a vaccinated service and they have an unvaccinated service or they have a mixed service where the vaccinated people get to sit up front and the unvaccinated people have to sit in the balcony. I'm, I'm going to say this, but I'm afraid somebody's going to hear it and actually implement it. Yeah. Before you have communion, show me your vaccination card. Yeah. 
Right, kind of like the uh, the the old school Lutherans, right? When you would come yeah. and you had to flash your card, they, saying that you belong to the the Lutheran Church. Yeah, yeah it's going to be that. Well, but they they did say. I mean, there is kind of that. They there are communion policies at some of these churches that say you don't get to you if you are unvaccinated, you don't get to commune until after everyone else that's vaccinated has had communion. So let's just back up a little bit. So yeah. the question was, who is 1920s, 30s? The question was, who is Christ for us today? No one had an answer. Yeah, Bonhoeffer tries to answer that, but he's got the weight of the whole government against him right? and the opposition of the uh, regular church. And today we have the same question. In the midst of all this, who is Christ for us today? And we're being told from many sources and directions, even the church, he's not relevant. Yeah not relevant to everyday life he's not the solution he's not you might even say he's the problem in some corners right Mm -hmm. Um, and so i don't i don't want to say we need a second bonhoeffer but we need as somebody said america never had a reformation no we never had we had had, uh we had a nice confirmation conformation right right we had great revivals, the first great revival, second great revival. Some people say the third great revival. But we never had a Reformation. We never developed in America a Christianity, a native Christianity, that it, that understood everything um, is centered on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Mm-hmm. That's lacking and uh, yeah, kinda... lacking, abandoned in some places. So... Once more, I, my, once more, my wife and I drove by a certain Baptist church on 14 Mile, and uh, every time we go by it, she says, that's the church that has no crosses inside or out. And I said, okay, why is that? Right. I didn't say that to her, but why is that? Why is that? That's an offense. Yeah. Oh, well, isn't that the point? Right, right, exactly. The gospel is offensive. Yeah. So, uh, Do you think that this has anything to do with the post-enlightenment? We are living in a rational, ordered, explainable. There's answers to everything. We may not know the answers, but we're going to know the answers to everything. That's really the enlightenment. We're living in the post-postmodern world, and the postmodern world is, <laughs> that's not the kind of world we're living in. We're living yeah. in a chaotic world. Yeah. And uh, so you do whatever, uh, judges. Everybody does Everyone what's does right in their own eyes. Yeah. Uh, but. I don't know if we're at the point of crisis of 1933 in America now, but we may actually be past it. Yeah, I'm just not politically, but yeah. I mean the p- point where the church is still able to answer the question: Who is Christ today? Who is mm-hmm. He for us? Yeah, the problem. Today? The problem is that churches don't do that well. For every this, this aggravates me. For every voice that speaks the truth, there's two or three or four. Mm-hmm. The media will find them. Yep. Liberal Christian professors or yep. doctors or pastors will say, mm, back the most ungodly things and say, this is truth. And, yep. you know. Yeah, and it, it doesn't have to be these gross mistruths, right? It doesn't have to be a pastor saying that everyone should go kill everyone. It's But, it, but pastors that are advocating for, for things that are actually... Um, you know, for like we just talked about with medical segregation, pastors that advocate for medical segregation, that's that you're you're not you're not speaking to Christ. You're not speaking to the person of Christ. You're not speaking to who He is, and uh, because you, unity ultimately is found at the foot of the cross. It's and we're trying to create these unities, and this is what happens. I think uh, for Bonhoeffer, and in terms of the theology of the cross. He would never say that suffering is meaningless or evil or purposeless, excuse me, which is what we hear from the world. Mm -hmm. But for him, I think suffering is always looked at through the lens of Christ. And and I'm not saying suffering is desirable, right? I've said many times... uh, I don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, Lord, I haven't suffered enough today. Could you please make sure I'm persecuted? Right. 
<laughs> in fact, this is quite the opposite. We say, deliver us from evil, right? Right. Uh, but we are, as Christians, under the shadow of the cross to know that when suffering comes, it's not, it only comes through the hands of God. It's not meaningless. It's not uh, purposeless. It's not uh, a vague, uh, irrational. In fact, suffering comes, let's see if you can remember my teaching, for three reasons. Uh, are you asking me that yeah. or are you asking Nick that? Well, uh, the three the three reasons for why we have suffering or the three or the th- yeah the example I so did. yeah I, I I think I know which where you guys just want to make sure there's clarity because yeah. I've I've preached a sermon before about the ways that God uses suffering or how what you know they didn't, that was actually four you had correction you had yeah. discipline you had just broken because there's a, it's mm-hmm. a broken world or persecution. Um, yeah. But I think that where you're getting at is the the reasons why that, am I suffering? Yeah, why am I suffering? And it's either the the sin of yourself, the sin of somebody else, or the sin of just being in a the sin of the world, world, the fallen world. So the example that and one you, could say persecution too, yeah, but that's the, really the yeah. example that you've used is if you're driving in a car and someone hits you, drunk driver, hits drunk you. driver hits you. Um, you're suffering. You are suffering because of the sin of of him. He's suffering because of the sin of himself, and then someone else that's looking on that sees and is in panic and in terror because of what they just witnessed. They're not being directly sinned sinned against, or they didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but they're witnessing it and struggling with it because of that's there's just sin in this world because we are broken. And then now we switch the position, and now you're the drunk driver in the car, and you hit the other car, and you kill somebody. Right. Right. And and you're saying, why am I suffering? Why did I just lose my job? Why am I in prison? Yeah. Why did they take my car away? And the answer is? Sin. Your own personal yeah. sin, right? Yeah. And and that's sin. This brass tacks, sin is the reason that things happen. Yeah. Right? The sin is the reason for suffering. I mean, even to even to Jesus, and that's one of the things that um, in his in his stu- uh, in his studies when he's talking about um, Clement. You want to talk about the the Clement part where he talks about his first one of his first seminar papers about Clement, where Clement views uh, views Jesus as this hero as opposed to a, as opposed to a savior and. So Clement would view Jesus as this hero, right? He's the he's the guy who who is going to willingly take. It's more of an attitude thing, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to willingly take on our sin. He's going to walk in the footsteps of all of the other Old Testament heroes, as opposed to the Jesus, the Savior, who is becoming sin and and doing it on account of everyone else. Not it's not. The, the the main difference that I th- that I picked up on, and Pastor, maybe you can help me with this. The the hero mentality is I'm doing this when I don't have to, and the savior m- method is I have to, and I'm going to do it willingly. Like I have to be. It, this is the, I'm I'm here on the cross because you put me here. Like yeah. I'm suffering on your behalf because you are sin. You are sinful, so I became sinful because you are sinful. And I'm taking the punishment of of the world. So there, it's not necessarily a hero mentality. It's a suffering savior, the royal sufferer, mm-hmm. as we've referred to him before. And, and so Dietrich I have to wants to say the that. first thought went, went through my mind when you said Jesus is a hero is probably before your time, the underdog. Underdog. <laughs> Here I am to save the day. Yeah. No, that's not who Jesus is, right? No. That's kind of what. The Rome or what the Jews wanted, yeah, they wanted this superhero Jesus, mm-hmm. and that's not that's not who they got. So I mean, we, he is a hero, right? <laughs> he does save the day. He does save they the. They got a better hero, right? Right. <laughs> they but, weren't expecting. Right, but that's that's it's it's like I said before. It's not the mentality of him. It's not he's not descending and descend, descending from heaven, you know, with his hands on his on his hips and a cape floating in the air, right? He's not flying from Jerusalem to Judea. To Samaria, to the ends of the earth, he's he's Superman born. touches down on Mount Olives and it splits, <laughs> and there's a new right. heaven and a new earth. Right, right, yeah. right. That's not what that's not what happens. It, it's he he's born of a virgin and he grows up as a child and and experiences all the things that we do. And there's nothing, you know, there's nothing particularly uh, 
special other than the fact that he's God about him. So let's just for a second pose a question. Jesus says the suffering um, Savior, royal, what did you say, royal? The, the royal sufferer. Yeah. There's a great book about that. There is a, there is a sense in which he is um, in a have-to mode. What would that be, Nick? I have to. I have to do this in order to save. I would say not that. No. Think think a little further back. Why? Because the Father sent him. Ah, that's yeah. it. I have to be, yeah. I have to be I, obedient. I to am Father. obedient. Yeah. It's not even I have to. I am obedient. Yeah. The Father sent me, therefore I. But then there's also an equally powerful dynamic, or maybe more of, I want to. Yeah. yeah, this is the this is, that's the whole Philippians two thing, right? Even, you know, though he he did not count being like being like God a thing to be grasped, rather submitted himself and was obedient, even to even unto death. Yeah, when you when you read that, you know, I've done this a couple times this year. There are active and passive things in Philippians two. So Nick, read us from Philippians chapter two. All right, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, becoming born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's good. So there's both active and passive action by Jesus in that. Just the first two examples were what again? He well, he didn't made himself. He made himself nothing and took on the form of a servant, being right. born in likeness of man. And then an act that's a active passive was being born of a. Being born in likeness of men, being found in human right. form, being humbled. So, well, the humble is the yeah, humble active, active, right? That's, yeah. He he humbled himself. He wasn't humbled. I mean, he was, but he humbled himself. So, this is where I'm going to ask the seminary student, who was probably a straight A student. I've never asked you about your grades. Don't answer. <laughs> <laughs> I passed. <laughs> oh, wow. that's all that matters. Yeah. What is the difference between uh, passive? the passive and active obedience of Christ um, in his three-year ministry. The active, I may be wrong, but correct me if I'm wrong. The you can count on that. <laughs> the active obedient obedience of Christ is him actively um, fulfilling the law, actively not sin- sinning, actively um, doing the Father's will. Mm-hmm. And the passive obedience is when he is like crucified submitting to submitting them. and allowing that to be, happen to him probably the best example of that is um if you are the christ come down off of that cross remember they yeah mocked him with that yeah. but um so actively could he have actively yes he could have but he did but not he chose to be passively obedient and follow the father's yeah, could have. Well, he well, says when he's before Pilate, he's like, "I could call the legion of angels to to, to come to my to come to my side," right. but he he was, didn't. He didn't do that because that's not the way that he was going to save the world. So we're probably headed into the what do they call that? The red zone in football? Yeah. Okay. Two minute warning. Two minute warning. <laughs> uh, that too. Yeah, we still have the open question of who is this Jesus today? What does he have to say to this uh, dysfunctional, is a weak word, society that we have that's in turmoil, that uh, everybody has answers, they think, but they're all wrong? <laughs> yes, yeah, quite. Uh, um, what does the theology of the cross have to say what does it speak that this nation and this world needs to hear? And maybe finally, um, why isn't anybody saying it? Well, because if you say it, you're gonna there's gonna be consequences. Yeah. You, like that's 
that just like we talked about uh, at the end of the end of last week's episode, we talk about what happens when you proclaim gospel when you remind people of their sins you're going to have opposition and one of the things that i'm looking at here in this in this book is as we're jumping near the the end of the chapter here one of the big things for for dietrich was his understanding of scripture which we understand to be uh, is sharper than any two-edged sword right so it, the, the the word of god kills and it makes alive and so it's through the scriptures it says that the believer receives Christ, but at the same time, Christ is the meaning and the criterion of Scripture, the whole Scripture. And so you, you've got this idea of law and gospel, the truth of law and gospel, which reveals Christ to us. And we don't, we we are, we like to think that we're bold as lions, as I think, is that Proverbs that, that talks about that? Um we like to think that we're bold as lions, but I really think that when push comes to shove, there are so many Christians that are as cowardly as kittens. And that that is not a good place for the church to be in. It's a darn good thing that the church's growth does not rely on us because the church would continue to shrink and to shrink and to shrink more so than what it already is. Uh, we see the visible church shrinking, but the invisible church continues to grow like the mustard seed and the uh, we talked about last night. So I have this image, maybe we can end on this, uh, of the need for a modern-day Moses to raise a, the brazen snake uh-huh. on, the, on, the, on the pole. to Because all of us are, have been bitten. We are all bitten, yeah. If we aren't bitten, we're about to be bitten. Um, and what does it say in John 3? Son of man must be lifted up just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness by Moses. Uh, so that, so that is it. all men will be drawn to him. Yeah. Yeah. For God so loved the world that he, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So who, who, the question hanging in my mind as we're wrapping up is who is lifting up that cross, that crucified Christ preaching meaning into this chaos that we think we're in control of and, uh, I think maybe from the grave, Dietrich's voice is speaking to Christians today and saying, "Sorry, it's the cross, stupid." <laughs> oh, I don't know. Isn't there a? There's a whole Lutheran thing about uh, Christ alone, Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone. What's what word do all of those have in common? Now you're tempting me because I'm going to say our synod is good at saying what's wrong and right, but doing it in ways that nobody ever notices. Sure. I I We're think. on record as saying this is wrong, but <laughs> who's reading that record? Right, right. I just when you when you read back and you remember those the solas alone, it's it's just it it. But it can't like our our mindset is it can't be that simple. But it is that simple. It was that simple. Well, not for not for Christ, no. but it is that simple. The, the the thing that you need in order to be saved, in order to be redeemed, is to be a sinner. Congratulations, all of you that are listening to this. You are a sinner. That's why Christ dies. Now, what did I tell Ron? See, four times? There you go. What did I tell Ron yesterday? He said, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. And I said... <laughs> Think about going pro. <laughs> yeah, I've been <laughs> thinking about you should be going pro. Yeah, yeah. that was that was hilarious. I, I would say, I will say this. Uh, you know, if we if we were to have a modern-day Moses or a modern-day Dietrich or a modern-day Luther or a modern-day, you name the Christian leader, uh, he wouldn't last a month that dude would yeah. be killed so fast yeah. it wouldn't even be funny he'd be strung up by his by his pants and would be have, every platform would be shut down oh, it would be he awful. would not have a voice right he'd be censored. yeah he would be that's and that's probably why is be, the people aren't more people aren't doing it is because when they try i mean i i have a i have multiple people that have made posts or comments on social media and they've been banned so people don't see it and people don't, they're not, you can speak to it as much as you want. Like that, pro, the whole Project Veritas thing about, about the, the actual, the, the truth about the government conspiracy that nobody ever wants to talk about. 
there's a whole bunch of truth there are government employees that are finally starting to speak out but nobody gets to see it if you you only have a certain window in order to see it otherwise you're just continuing to be in the in, in the dark which is exactly where people want you to be and it's just it's important for us to remember that Christ is the victor that that it, it is Jesus and it is only Jesus that's it so vicar never have a fake ending and a real ending to your sermon. Yeah. Okay, but I'm going to give you another ending that we can think about. Yeah, this isn't a sermon, so we can. Yeah. <laughs> so this works. So I'm misappropriating and paraphrasing Paul, but the theology of the cross is foolishness to the woke and a stumbling block to the Christians. A stumbling block to the Christians? Christians. To the Christian church at large. That is not large, yes. the Christ they want to be preaching. No or worshiping, or serving, yeah. and man, they don't want to be following him. Yeah, but as I'm, as I'm looking at the cover of this book, uh, you've, got, you've got Jesus on full display, quite literally, on full display, and he's, that's where he's nailed, that's how he dies, that's, ultimately, that's the only thing that matters, is, the, is what happens at the cross, and, and that has been done for you, it's been done for me, it's been done for, um, uh, it's been done for the world, it's been done for, for for all and those who who receive it, those who are who are willing to uh, to accept it. Um, I'm not going to use any type of decision theology as you peek around your microphone. <laughs> but those of us that that have been given the the faith to to believe that uh, it means that that we are within we are in the ark, and when the floodgates come and are coming, we are going to be saved because we dwell with Christ um, because of what He has done for us and what He is doing in us. So we are going to that's where we're going to break for today. Uh, I don't not one hundred percent sure where we want to go next week. The next chapter, as we, um, I'd like us to can, pursue the question of who is Christ today. So we're going to continue that discussion. Little, who is Christ today? Bit next week and, and before then, we sign off I'm going to ask Nick to get up and pick up a Lutheran work Luther works <laughs> volume up there and open it so that we can say <laughs> you look at that <laughs> he can't he said, reach it he said you want to hear the crack of this money get up on your tiptoes there very uh, good he's got it oh which oh. one did you, which one did you grab the Catholic, the Epistles, Catholic volume Epistles volume 30 now look at the checkout card and see yeah, when, when the last, was the last time that was picked up oh gosh 1994. Oh, older, than, older than me. Older than you, bro. <laughs> and there's only one. There's only one. Good grief. That's probably a person who put it on the shelf. Okay. Oh, my goodness. So <laughs> You can edit that out if you want. No, I'm but. not. That's, that's hilarious. That proves our point. Uh, have a great week, everybody. If you haven't had a chance to do this, uh, make sure you go to our website, www.fogdetroit.com. You, you can see any other things uh, that we've been go- that's been going on at Family of God. You can see that over there. Check out our Facebook page, YouTube page, all that good stuff. Um, we are so grateful for for all of you that uh, that, that support the podcast, that that listen to us, um, that support the ministry. Uh, we can't do what we do without you. So, as I say again, have a great week, everybody. If no one has told you yet, God loves you, and so do we.